You are now listening to the Claim It Podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I get to have conversations with people who inspire and intrigue me, and we go through a bit of the journey of their life. I have different amount of times with different guests. Today's, I had a little bit less time, but oh my goodness, did I love talking to Katherine Newman. So her most recent book, that came out a little while ago is called What Can I Say? A Kid's Guide to Super Useful Social Skills to Help You Get Along and Express Yourself. She has written other books, an award-winning bestseller called How to Be a Person. She has written some parenting memoirs. She is an etiquette columnist for Real Simple Magazine. And just I it was a delight to talk to her and to figure out how did she get to doing this this type of work. Um, and really her books, even though they're focused more on like a kid's guide, I think really help us adults too, because we didn't really have these sorts of lessons growing up, a lot of us, I don't think. So I really love talking to her. Give it a listen, go check out her books. They make great gifts for yourself and for others. Here we go. Okay, so I like starting with around high school age, wondering during those ages, did you have like any sort of, this is what I'm going to do when I grow up or like pressure from yourself or families or teachers of this is what you should do? Yes. Why? Yes, I did. I know. Didn't we all? I, so I learned to write in first grade and I filled journal after journal with my weird stories and thoughts. And I was such a weird kid, like a super nerdy, weird kid. And I really was that like through, I still am, I guess I was going (laughs) to point to it, but I guess it's just ongoing. And I loved writing and I used to say, I'm going to be a writer. And I will say my parents are awesome, but I did not get a lot of support for that idea. That did not seem like a practical idea to people. Um, the assumption is that I would go to college and then do something in a regular way that made some kind of a living. And I took a medium path of going to grad school and getting a PhD for like 10 years, which was neither getting a job nor being a writer. I so like, okay, you're telling me I can't be a writer. Do this other super weird thing. So I'm just going to keep learning because I haven't figured anything else I want to do. And if I can't do that, exactly. I'm going to be broke till I'm 30 and I'm going to have a baby while I'm living in like a room in someone's, you know, terrible apartment, like really, really, um, not a clear sense of my path. And then, um, well, so yeah. So what did you end up like? What were you studying? I was studying literature and women's studies, which would only have led me to be a professor because grad school is a pyramid scheme. Just (laughs) Um, And then I quit. I finished my dissertation. I had a baby. Then I finished my dissertation. And then I thought, you know what? This is not what I want to do. And I got a job um, fact-checking at Family Fun Magazine. And I started as a fact checker. I was 30 years old. I was not your usual like 22-year-old fact checker. And then I got assigned a column by Baby Center and it paid $50 a week. And I wrote about parenthood every week for like 
five years. And then I had a book. And did that, so, and even just getting into like the fact checking, was that just a job that you were able to find or did it, did you like purposely look into something that had to do with like publishing, writing, like? That was nepotism. And that was because my best friend (laughs) from college was the editor of Family Fun Magazine. And I had moved back to, um, Amherst, Massachusetts, which is where she and I went to college. And the magazine was one town over and she hired me to do a little bit of writing, full disclosure. I did do some writing, not just the fact checking, but also hired me just, I went in and was a fact checker. Got it. And so then when the the other publication hired you to write, which yeah, for $50 a week. So that was like not like your actual job, but like to live on. <laughs> but were you like, yay, I get to write? Yeah, I like, was. And I t- took it and I was ready to take it. I took it because I thought the money's not significant, but it's going to be a writing practice. I'm going to have to write. And this was, I know it's really weird to think about this, but it was kind of pre blog culture. I'd never heard the word blog. So I got hired to write what was called a column. So I wrote it every week as an essay, a structured essay. It was like a 700-word essay. So at the end of a couple of years of that, I really had a body of writing. And that was I was right to take that job. It was really a great writing practice. And was it any, like, did they even give you direction? It was just like, write about parenting every week. like It was like that. And I wrote it so again. <laughs> quite a vast. Again, it's so weird. But again, if you can picture the world pre-blog, where what is now such a given to us that we would practically roll our eyes of people revealing the underbelly of the thing they're doing and how hard it is and how awful it is. It was really new to say anything about parenting other than like what a magical, joyful thing. So to say, wow, I love this and it's really hard. It was like a radical act. I'm not even kidding you. No, I can I can believe that. And and that's what it was though. Like from the start you were or did you like ease into from the start like, I was. And they were okay. like did they know? Like did you ahead of time say like, well this is what they I'm going to write and I is this okay? Like it. you want to Got it. So you got hired based on like sending in some things that were real. They understood. So they were like, oh, okay. They knew what they were getting into, I think. So during that time, you said how many years were you writing there before you decided, oh, I can make this into a book? I wrote the column for two years and made a book out of that. And then I wrote. Oh, so only two years after. And I wrote for another chunk of years and wrote another book out of that. So it was a really great writing practice for me. It was really a wonderful way to become a writer. But that's, I mean, I'm saying, oh, wow, just that even did, was that, did anybody even come to you or was that you looking at, oh yeah, I have all of this. Can I make this into a book or I can make this into a book? People, weirdly, this Baby Center, it's really hard to even describe what Baby Center was at that time, but Baby Center was this website where Every single mom in the world was on this website. So the column had a quarter of a million readers and um, an agent came to me and was like, you should turn this into a book. And so I did. (laughs) Got it. Very cool. And so, yeah. So then 
also you're saying you started with just the $50 a week. So were you also doing like the fact-checking job still or doing something else? I was doing the fact-checking job. I was working this $50 a week column. My husband was the night sports writer at a website um, where he would go in like really late. Like we had these crazy, really busy lives. Yeah, it was so chaotic and pieced together. And the truth is that has never ended. He also got a PhD and then also left academia. He got a philosophy PhD from Cal Berkeley. I can't even tell you, this is like worth a billion dollars to have a PhD from Berkeley in philosophy. Quit that, was the night sports guy at some crappy website. Quit that, Got a, uh, went to school for massage therapy. And he is a massage therapist. And he is- I freaking love best it. in the business. And one thing I love is we now have kids who are 22 and 19. I was about to ask, or I was like, I'm definitely going to make sure to ask her before this ends. Like, yeah, like the approach, because my kids are four and six. They're young, but I'm already like, wow, this parenting thing is going to be interesting. No, like I am already like what they're learning about in kindergarten. I'm like, that's what, hmm, I'm really glad you know all the solar system, but like, do you know like <laughs> oh my God. how to be like, you know, like, I don't know. It's like interesting now, like they're just starting school and I'm even like, wow, y'all spend a lot of time learning that stuff that I don't actually even, I don't know all the planets and I'm okay with that. <laughs> we're just reminiscing about my kid's preschool teacher after we said, oh, we're taking Ben out of school for a week because our friends are getting married in Italy. And she said, and this is true, she said, he's going to miss the life cycle of the butterfly. And we were like, we'll make it up. We're taking him to Italy. Like, I think it's okay. I think he'll learn a lot from going to Italy where we're taking him. Anyway, what I want- we just we just had the life cycle and the butterfly in my <laughs> very important proboscis whatever, um, but what I was gonna say about having grim kids is I feel really happy that we get to model a not straight line for them. We are not the parents who are like you're getting another job. You're supposed to have one job your whole life. We have done every single thing, including, I mean, that is not even talking. Oh, the other thing I did in grad school was waitress, obviously, like a normal person. So we have done like every crappy job. We have done a number of good jobs and we have kind of settled out into this weirdo freelance life. I love it. Yeah. No, I mean, and that's one of the reasons I have these conversations where I get into people's lives to show like, we think like everybody else has it all figured out. And they were just like, which and it is like, sure, you were like, learning to write and when I want to be a writer, but it's not like, <laughs> there were lots of other things. Oh that my were God, in there. Totally. And that's like, we, <laughs> including spending a lot of money and time on education. Right. And <laughs> we went to our 10th college reunion and what I loved about the 10th reunion, as opposed to the fifth reunion, is that at the 10th reunion, everyone who had left and become a banker, and we were like, oh, should we do that? Like, what are we doing with ourselves? They had all quit and were living in their parents' basements. Like, people's lives just like, <laughs> were evolving constantly. And I loved everybody for being like, oh, yeah, that fell all to pieces. Like, yeah, okay, this is human life. We're fallible people. We don't know what we're doing. Yes, a hundred percent. Okay. I love that. But so uh so yeah, so what was the first book? 
The first book was called Waiting for Birdie, and that was a book about being pregnant with and then having a second date. Oh. Mm. And and was it or is it I'm acting as if it's like past? We cannot we cannot find like, <laughs> it exists. That book has passed away. <laughs> that dead book. That poor is it is it like a guidebook no, sort of no, or, it's you, just or is it like personal stories? It's just a memoir. It's purely narrative, which is when I went on tour for that book, people in the audience used to mistake me for a parenting expert because I'd written a book about parenting. But they, So they would be like, I'm toilet training my kid. And I'd be like, whatever this is, I'm not going to be able to answer it. Just heads up. I have no idea. Like, should you give them an M&M every time they poop? Probably. Like, I don't really know. Not a parenting expert, but I thought a lot about it. You know, I was just a storyteller. Got it. And so, but so the book that is it just come out? The What Can I Say? Yes. It's coming out Wednesday. Oh, it's coming. Well, when this podcast is at, it is, it's out. (laughs) It's brand new. Brand new. What can I say? But so this, like is kind of a guide, a kid's yeah, guidebook yeah. to super useful social skills to help you get along and express yourself, which I love that. But you have another like guidebook-esque yes. too, right? So what book is this number for so, you? Um, so that book, How to Be a Person, these are like a pair. They're very much like the same type. There we go. Yeah, How to Be a Person. I was like, then I looked at They're down. illustrated by the same person. They're really, um, they're kind of a pair of guidebooks. I've written a couple other books. I wrote um, a novel for kids called One Mixed Up Night about two kids who end up spending a night in Ikea. And I wrote a craft book with my friend Nicole called Stitch Camp about how to do all the things with yarn, even though I pretended to know how to crochet and don't, but that's just between us. And then I wrote an adult novel that's coming out in November, even though every time I say adult novel, it sounds like it's pornographic, but it's not. Because Yeah, just because you've done so much for kids that now you need to clarify it's for adults. And so it sounds <laughs> sexy. Novel. No, it's just a regular <laughs> novel, but it's for grownups. And it's called We All Want Impossible Things, and that's coming out in November. Maybe say a grown-up novel. No, I'm just kidding. I know. I think <laughs> Does that sound weirder? That sounds so – every time I say it, I'm like, that can't be the expression. It is so bizarre. Okay. I want to – okay, I want to ask you more about this book, but how amazing that you've written – not so many even different books, but different like styles and for different audiences and purposes. From from the we've we've known each other very long here, 10, 13 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but what I am feeling from you is that that probably was like, yeah, of course, like, oh yeah, I'll do this now or I'll do that or I want to write a novel. But did you get, was it like that? Or what did you get pushback even from like, oh, I need a different agent for this or that or no, 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 you just stick with what you're good at. And you did this and you had one memoir. So you like, you're not allowed to write different style. You can't write an adult fiction novel after writing a kid's. Oh, yeah. No, I love the mafia voice that you just used. And it (laughs) sounds really like that could have happened to me. And that would have been like so aggravating. No, I've just gotten like love and support. I swear it's ridiculous. I feel very, um, I feel like I am moving through a world and I honestly, I'm just needing to put in parentheses. I have a feeling this is called white privilege, to be honest. It's just not magic that there's like essentially some kind of red carpet rolling out in front of me for these like 
publications and anything I want to do, someone's like, great, do it. I think that's just privilege. That said, it's privilege I am really lucky to have. I feel like I get to write all these different books and mostly nobody says anything weird to me about it except like maybe my dad, but that's where he's like, when are you going to write for the New Yorker? My family, if you haven't written for the New Yorker, what are you even doing? You call yourself a writer until they see my name in the New Yorker. There's nothing I'm doing that's going to impress them. Trisha here, and I am so excited to get to invite you to a 10-day astrological awakening free immersion with my past amazing guest, Deborah Silverman. I've talked about astrology different times on this podcast and my relationship to it. I'm not like a super, or I know, oh, you're this and that person, but I have used astrology in my past, having one-on-one calls you know, looking things up. And it has really supported me in surrendering to who I am, owning who I am, and not feeling like something is wrong with me. But this is something I have to overcome often, no matter how much work I have done. And that's the thing. Everybody thinks something is wrong with them. We all have voices in our head that tell us, you're too much, tone it down. You're not good enough. You're not this enough. We are constantly struggling this enough struggle. So that's why I am so excited to introduce you to this astrological immersion. Each day, we'll be learning the most common negative beliefs that run like a broken record in our heads. And people will be working live with Deborah during these sessions, learning to identify and overcome those voices. She teaches a magical formula that uses astrology and that ends the epidemic of self-consciousness. Now it's your turn to rewrite the stories, or as Deborah says, the gremlins plaguing you. Join us. It's totally free. There's going to be daily live Zoom meditations, and you may even get to work with Deborah using your chart. So every day, you're going to get three guided experience, a guided meditation, daily astrological transformational sessions, and daily guest sessions with high achievers. So really, the thing that I appreciate about astrology and especially Deborah's work is that she helps you remember why you are here on this earth. She will help you remember your purpose by ditching the negative voices that are running the show and interrupting you allowing yourself to simply be who you are. So sign up today. It starts August 1st, and I will also be going live on my IG Friday at 9.30 a.m. Pacific with Deborah. Join us via the link in my show notes. And you can also go to bit.ly backslash Joy Deborah. That's J-O-Y-D-E-B-R-A. But just hit the link in the show notes. All right, let's get back to the episode. You said you were going to be a writer. Yeah, every uh, week we get the New Yorker and look for your name. I'm always like, I'll let you know. So you will just know in advance that it's going to be there. Uh, well, I do think you're right, privilege. But I do know many ways that people themselves get in their own way and limit themselves. And also, like, I have had experience with even white female authors that, you know, 
did one thing and then now they're like, oh, I, I've always wanted to write two. And now that I've, you know, I've written two books, like now I want to write my novel. And then like their literary agent, even who only represents nonfiction, I'd be like, no, don't like so like, like, so I have heard of like people that will just be like, no, just, you know, do what you've already been good at or like, yeah, what you've been proven or what people know you for. People know you for these things. They looked you for this. So like, don't do that just because you want to and it would feel fulfilling. I might be living the weird um, positive underbelly of not being like that successful. So I don't feel like anybody cares that much about what I write next, to be honest. There's no one who's like, what? We're going to make another billion dollars from your next like weirdo how-to book. Like everyone's like, sure, you can write something different. That's fine. And that, and the other thing I think that has been enabling for me just as we're talking, I'm thinking like, I have this partner who is in it with the kids and doing a lot of laundry and spent a lot of time driving the kids to like doctor's appointments. And I think that made my life possible in the absence of social support for parenthood that we don't have, we don't have childcare, we don't have good healthcare. Like I managed to find myself a partner who would like pick up some of that and do it. And I feel like without that, I don't think I could have written anything. And was that stuff that he took initiative on? Yeah. That's, yeah, that's really amazing. And I hate that I said that. Well, I know. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, gross. Wow, he's offered to do the laundry. <laughs> what an amazing man. Yeah, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate that, that we have to be like, what a doll. What a mensch. I hate that we have to say that. And the truth is, we still fight all the time about the division of labor because I am still doing all of the emotional labor of the household. If the kids have something, they're both in college now. If they have something pressing they need to talk about, they call me. Like, And I love to be called. I don't want them to feel like they can't. But, oh, my God, that division of labor where I do all of the talking down, talking to, like, support uh, emotionally, that is, you know, not my dream world. Yeah, no, it is it is so interesting. And I have an emotional labor of also just even, like, right, so I'm the one researching all the summer camps to then where we're going to send them. I'm the one that's reading all the emails and stuff from the teachers to like putting in the calendar. They have silly hat day on Friday and then silly socks day and Thursday and like, like all of that stuff. I was like, yeah, it's been, it's like been, it's so eye opening once you like start to, cause I didn't have a part. I, I left my relationship. One of those reasons I was like, oh, it's easier on my own. Birthday's <laughs> night. Well <laughs> noticed by you. <laughs> but but in that because we separated during the pandemic so it was a year of even living together and um but so I was like it was firmer of like you know splitting um labor and stuff like that two tails but yeah just then so present to even the emotional like labor of all the stuff that m- mothers or one parent in the household is often like taking over and like how to like even like the other person not even being aware of it being a thing. Yes. Oh no. I'm I'm really glad that you made that decision. And by the way, oh my God, how many people do we know collectively between us who split up during the pandemic? Because I know a lot. And I think that feeling of like the pressure uh, on this relationship, I feel like the fractures really became apparent. 
Yeah, mine, the day I I had on March 11th, I was leaving to go on my own little like one day retreat because I just wrote my first book that just came out, but I was working on the book proposal back then. And I was leaving March 11th and was like, oh, I know I can't be in this relationship anymore. And March 12th, the world <laughs> shut down. <laughs> Are you writing about that? No. <laughs> No, my book is called F the Shoulds, Do the Once, oh. uh, which is why I'm very clear on uh, like so many people are weighed down by the shoulds. I should do this. I should go to college. I should stick with one job. I should stay in my lane. Um, you you seem like a person who's great at doing the I'm once. I'm really needing that book. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'll buy it with my own actual money instead of. I'll love you. I was going to tell you I'll send it with to you, but if you want to buy it, I know. It, I'm all- my impulse is like, send me a free one, but then I'm like, no, I could actually. Now, like as an author, now I am too. Like, oh right, no, let me. I will pre-order that book. You're probably going to send it to me, but I'm going to pre-order that book on that first day. Like I now Don't get you every book sale counts. My parents come and they're like, you get all your books from the library. Like, shouldn't you be supporting writers? And I'm like, I really want to, but I really can't afford to keep up my reading habit in a buying sort of way. I love the too. Okay. Let's get to the book. What can I say? I love this. So I have, I've like, haven't read it cover to cover, but flipped through. What made you want to write this book. I think it's so great. And I feel like it's for a wide age group. Yeah, I think so. I think we're saying 10 to 14. But I honestly feel like it's for much younger kids and for much older kids, too. Yeah, I was definitely like not every situation. Well, I mean, my kids already do tell me they have boyfriends, but uh, I don't think I need to get into the like dating and breakup section with them. Um <laughs> But yeah, for sure. Like even how to be embarrassed, how to deal with hard things, how to be grateful. Oh, how to be grateful. We have been working on that a lot in my house. Um, I love these things. What inspired you to write this book? So definitely a couple things. I have written the etiquette column for Real Symbol Magazine for 10 years. So um, that weirdly how did wait the etiquette call uh, right Don't, yeah <laughs> okay. i I'm, I'm i love always, you. Like, i always want them to like eat a meal with me and then fire me because they're going to be like she ate a salad with her hands and then i'll be like i know because i don't really care i really etiquette is not like my thing in particular but i have always thought of it as a relationship column it's like an it's like a how do i be a person in the world kind of column and all of the questions that people write with the possible exception of like the salad for questions, which I really, again, don't care about, but they distill to this basic thing, which I keep thinking about as like a Venn diagram where there's you, you're one circle, somebody else is another circle and your relationship is the place where you intersect. And on the one hand, that is the most obvious fact in the world, not really worth mentioning. And on the other hand, it is in fact where everything happens. So other people's otherness is like the source of our greatest pleasure and joy. And it is also where people are completely baffled And that's true in the column and it's true for kids. And so I kept thinking like, 
we should teach these as teachable skills, you know, because if you know kids who are like on the autism spectrum or um, kids who get occupational therapy, interestingly, those kids are being taught these skills, right? As a matter of course. Kids who are neurotypical tend not to be taught these skills. There's this assumption that it's like in the air you breathe, you'll take it all in, you'll just get it, you'll learn it like a language. And I don't actually think that's happening. And it certainly isn't happening like during the pandemic when kids are not going to school, like during that part of the pandemic where kids were yoinked out of their social lives. So I feel like it's kind of a guide in a way for reentering social relationships, being being a good friend, being a good citizen, a person in the world who can be helpful. It's so interesting because, yeah, how I mentioned, you know, like already seeing what my kids are learning and I'm like, I don't really know why you're spending this. Like I was like, I don't understand why you're not spending more time like learning about like how to be a good person, how to be a good friend, how to like say no when you don't want to do something. Like it's like the things that people I feel like in their 40s might find, like things that I'm teaching even in my book that people are like, wow, I'm still like in that, like that they could be starting to learn like at these ages where it's like really like, yeah, like I wish probably what my kids were learning in kindergarten and first grade were a lot of these things instead of like, that's so great. You know, the life cycle of the butterfly. Exactly. I know, right. That you did your like light and dark study. That's wonderful. Yeah. I, um, I think the same. And I think it's, I also just think it's a mistake to mystify social skills, like to not talk about them as discrete, teachable, like learnable things to make it just be this thing and be a good person. Like we give kids such weird advice or or even be empathetic, like empathy. That's a teachable thing. Everyone says like, oh, you can't teach empathy. It's really not true. You actually can teach empathy and you just have to break it down into its individual components. One of them is being curious about someone else's experience and teaching yourself as a habit of mind to be curious about other people. And that means listening and asking questions and all the things you do professionally. That is like the empathy. That's the scaffolding of it. I love that. I feel like I, yeah, I'm often, well, you know, the old, well, how would that feel? Like imagine putting yourself like, like that, I'm always bringing that up to my kids. And when they get mad, whether it's about even sharing or this, that, well, like, well, what, how would it feel if you really wanted that and you didn't share? Like, just think about that. Like, that would really hurt your feelings, right? Or you, how would you feel? Would you feel upset? But I realize, again, because of the work I've done on myself, I'm so good at naming feelings about, like, again, getting curious about, like, why am I feeling so, so that? So then I'm already doing that for my kids. And I realize that's not typical. That's right. So you're narrating for them the things you would have them notice to um, feel empathy. And that is so important. It's like the, um, it's like saying to a kid, like, wow, look at her face. Like, does she look happy that you grabbed that bucket from her? And the kid being like, she does not look happy. You know, where you're just teaching your kids to pay attention to someone else's experience. But I think it's nice to remind kids. It's funny, I don't do it in this book, but I almost wish I'd put it in the introduction that like from the moment that a parent smiles at you and you smile back, that's empathy. You are actually more or less hardwired for it. That is reflecting someone's experience back to them. 
and like we know how to do it and maybe we get sidetracked or whatever, but I feel like kids can be taught to listen, to pay attention and to express curiosity. And then that's, then it, there it is. Boom. Yeah. Love that. What was, can you name some of your like, I know we only have a couple more minutes to like name one or two of like your absolute like favorite one that was to write for this. What can I say? Or meaning not even maybe favorite, but just like the one that you really like, it could be favorite or just like what you really like. I really want that to like. Well, some of these things are really come out of like my family culture. I mean, again, my kids are grown now, but these are things we've been practicing forever. So there's a page here, like shutting down gossip for middle schoolers, I think is huge. Oh, I didn't see that That's one. page 82. It's a huge thing because we all know, I mean, even as adults, right? If I was like, I think adults need this. <laughs> I feel like I give so much advice to that people. <laughs> feeling you have when somebody leaves the room and somebody immediately leans in and gossips about them. And all it does for you is make you say to yourself, I am not in a trustworthy community. Like, there is no reason this person's not going to gossip about me next. Like, it feels so bad. Kids don't want to do what I think it feels so. I mean, it's attractive. Like, gossip, it shores you up in this weird way. But I think they don't want to do it. And um, we started this thing when my kids were little and still do it. And it's called positive gossip. And as soon as somebody leaves the room or gets out of the car at carpool, we say some like gossipy nice thing about them, but in a gossipy way where you're like, oh my God, could she be any cuter? Or like, can you even believe what a good dancer she is? And we started this as a practice as like an antidote to gossip. And I was really, I felt really lucky that I got to share it in a book because it's an excellent practice. We still do it. I love that. And I do like love that even for adults because I think it like, you know, I've definitely like, oh, I like my coworkers are always gossiping. And like, so I want to like be friendly and fit in, but then I don't want to gossip and fit in and like, you know, those sorts of things. And yeah, and it's interesting because I do feel like I'm a young age. That's where I started to feel this like desire to like, oh, what should I do? What should I say? Because I would see like I even had the best friend that would just decide we don't like so and so today. And I was like, I don't understand because I do like that person. So what's happening here? And so then it was this sort of like, wait, should I raise my hand or not? Should I be smart or not? Should I wear this or not? Should I like this music or not? Like already being aware of this because you want those people to accept you. And if they're talking, if they're talking about everybody else for those choices, and they got to be talking about me too. So this like, how do I fit in and stand out at the same time? And like how the shoulds mess with us because we're constantly looking to other people to be accepted, yes. to be like, you're okay. All right. Nobody's going to talk bad about me, right? If I make this yeah, choice. Yeah. Instead of being like your best, most authentic, most like, like, and that's what I'm saying. It's like to pay more attention to like, what do you actually think about yourself? What do you actually believe? What do you actually want? But yeah, the shoulds start early. And I think it's is a result of gossiping. <laughs> one. Well, one of <laughs> gossiping is one of the things that starts it. Okay, I got to let you go to talk to more people. Okay. So fun. And I loved getting to talk to you. You too. And um, I'm just going to ask you the last question real quick. The name of the podcast is Claim It because I feel so often we're chasing like, oh, I'll do once I do this, I'll feel enough. I'll be successful. I'll be this. And then I feel like if we actually pay attention to like what that would feel like, 
we can claim that feeling in the moment, no matter what we have done or look like or how much money we have in our bank account. So what are you claiming for yourself right now? Oh my God, what Light am I question. claiming? I, I swear I'm like claiming menopause for myself. I am claiming, <laughs> here's what I'm claiming. I am claiming cronehood. And I'll tell you, I am just like a total old crone and it is getting better and better. And instead of fighting it, I am living the dream. And there was this moment, I'll tell you, you are the one person I'm telling this to because you will appreciate this. There was a moment last summer I was on the beach. I'm in my one piece, terrible swimsuit. I, my pubes are like hanging down to my knees, whatever. I'm eating a tuna fish sandwich stuffed with potato chips like sitting cross-legged on my towel and I couldn't have cared less. And it was so, and I just owned it. I just, I was like, I am living my dream. <laughs> you are not giving an F to not those, giving an F those <laughs> I know, I know it. And I have raised a daughter who at 19 years old said to me, Mama, you are living your dream. And I was like, thank you, honey. I really am. I really am living it. Not, oh my God, could you please shave? I'm dying of shame. But like, yeah, you go girl. That's what she said to me. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much for your time and this book. And um, yay, it was so great to connect with you. All right. I hope you loved that episode. Again, go check out her work, katherinenewmanwriter.com. Her newest book is What Can I Say? Previous award-winning bestseller, How to Be a Person. She's got stuff happening. Just love, just love, just love connecting with people and talking to them. So thank you so much for listening. <laughs> if you haven't yet, please hit the follow button. That's like a subscribe, leave a review, and also share about the podcast, any episode or the podcast in general on social media and tag me. I'll send you a little gift for my product line. Leave a review, screenshot it, send it to me at podcast at yourjoelgist.com. You can also screenshot it and DM it to me at Trisha at underscore Trisha Huffman. I hope you've gotten my book already. F the shoulds, do the once. If not, go get it. And please leave a review for that as well. Reviews really matter. You, whoever you are out there listening, no matter what your income is, no matter what your job is, no matter what your status in anything is, you matter. And yes, your review matters. Your voice matters. You sharing things that you enjoy with people matters and makes a difference. And I, for one, am so appreciative of every single person out there. And just, you know, just again, like really feel that you matter. You giving a stranger a compliment, you giving someone who you think has it all and they don't need to hear anything else, you know, telling them how much you mean to them or giving them a compliment or whatever, that makes a difference. You make a difference. And speaking of I matter, <laughs> I've added some new items in my shop, one of which is um, t-shirt and hoodie that has a few different affirmations, but I matter. And on the front, it says, you know, I, and on the back, you. So on the front, it's I am Matt or I am present. 
I am here. I am magic. Oh my gosh. I don't even remember which ones I put on, but I matter is the last one. And then on the back, it reads it. You are, you are magic. You are present. You are worthy. You matter. So go check that out in my shop, shop shop.yourdwellgist.com. I'm trying out some print on demand things. So this means I don't have the inventory. Um, I create the products and then they are made when you order them. So we're just trying it out. We're just trying it out to see how it works because there's so many products I want to make, but it's a, a lot goes into making products, including spending a lot of money and just hoping people buy it. So I'm trying things out and who knows if, um, if products start to do really well in that way, then maybe I will start to carry the inventory myself. I don't know. Life's an experiment. Allow yourself to experiment and also make sure that you are signed up for the astrological immersion with Deborah Silverman. That starts August 1st. Go to bit.ly backslash joy Deborah and I will see you there.